Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Welcome to church, friends. How are we doing today? Fantastic. Look, I've been given uh, strict orders that I've got about a 20-minute time cap. Apparently, there's a uh, specific football game on right around noon. And uh, look, I just got, you know, one word for you. Priorities, people. Come on. We're in the house of the Lord here today. I'm fired up too, excited. Uh, Believe it or not, I am praying for a 49ers victory today. It'd be a great year for me if my Bulldogs and the Niners won it in the same year. Doesn't get much better than that. So maybe I'm the only one excited about that, but I hope you got some fun plans for the game afterwards. Before we jump into that, though, we are... um, we are diving into a new series on the book of Genesis, and I am so excited about this series because, man, there are few books in the Bible that really set the table, they set the tone, they set the course for the entire story of Scripture and the entire story of our lives like the book of Genesis. And look, if you've read Genesis anytime recently, uh, you probably have some questions, Uh, A friend of mine, a dear friend of mine is reading through it right now, and he's like, man, I just got through the flood, and uh, I got some questions, okay? There's a lot in here. There's a whole lot in here, and I'm excited to give us a, a framework, a lens by which we can read and look at the major themes, and it's, it's a long book. We're not going to hit every verse and every story, but we are going to touch on the major themes of the book of Genesis. And My first sermon, my first title for the first message here is simply this, and we're going to be looking at Genesis 1, verse 1 to 4, so just four verses today. But here's, here's the idea. Here's what we're looking at today. Um, we're looking at the context of our chaos. The context of our chaos. Friends, we don't have to look very far. I don't have to look very far in my own life, in my own heart, in my own household to see a little chaos. And I don't have to look very far. I don't have to raise the blinds and look very far across the landscape of America or the world to see much more chaos. And what Genesis does is it grounds us in a reality, in a worldview that says, look, all of this isn't meaningless. The pain that we experience, the chaos that we see, it can feel random. It can feel like God is disengaged, but he's not He is working to redeem and to restore. There is a firm foundation that we find in the book of Genesis that we can stand on as ultimate truth for the narrative and the story, not just of the Bible, but of our lives. And it gives us context for the chaos that all of us experience and all of us see in the world. But here's the problem. There are few books in the Bible that have divided Christians like the book of Genesis. I read a book in preparation, or I was skimming through a book in preparation for this series called Seven Days That Divided the World. (laughs) 
The first seven days of creation, everyone wants to argue and lay down uh, the line and, and really lay down the gauntlet over, man, was it a literal seven days? How long was the gap between verse one, between verse two? You know, how do we piece all this together? Was it Big Bang? Was it, you know, evolution? Did God create this way or that way? And friends, here's my fear. What we're doing when we divide ourselves over in my opinion, what are open-handed questions. Look, the Bible is the inherent word of God. Every word is true. We believe every word of scripture is God-breathed. That means he inspired it and he used human agents to put it on a page. It's a collection of 66 books written over thousands of years telling one central story, the story of God's redeeming love for a fallen and broken humanity and how he fulfilled that in Christ. But my, my fear is this, that we've lost the big picture, the narrative, the storyline of Scripture, because we, we're arguing over whether that tree is an oak tree or a pine tree. You know, and that's pretty obvious, <laughs> which is which. But some of these things are not the point. You see, the central thing, the questions that Genesis is trying to answer is this. When you read it, it's not answering how did Genesis happen. I mean, read, read chapter one, and I promise you, you're going to walk away with more questions than answers if you're trying to figure out the exact order of creation. For heaven's sakes, day one, God creates light. There is no sun yet. I'll let you think on that for a minute. Uh, and then he separates light from darkness before there's an earth, before there's a spherical planet in the, in the heavens with the sun on one side and a shadow on the other side, which we have night and darkness knowing, okay, the sun's on the other side of the planet right now. And yet God says, like I would say to my children, Lily Hope and Sawyer, if they were fighting, my kids never fight, but if they were, hypothetically speaking, I'd say, Lily Hope over there, Sawyer over there, don't touch each other. And God literally somehow separates darkness from light. And he does all this, and then he goes, and then there was morning, and then there was evening the first day. And I'm like, wait a second. Did you create morning and evening after you created light? How did you separate the light from the darkness? Did you just put a boundary up in the middle of whatever was there? When you read Genesis 1, from the context of a science book or trying to answer scientific questions, what you're going to find is a lot of frustration. Friends, Genesis 1 is not intended to answer 21st, quest, 21st century questions of science. Genesis 1 is written to tell us the truth of the narrative of this world and our experience in this world. Friends, the big idea, I believe, of Genesis is it's not just the historical account of an old story. Yes, God created the world. Yes, there will be a lot of questions about that. Yes, it's wonderful that scientists and astronomers are trying to piece this together and find the truth of how it happens. I have no problem with that at all, but that's not the main point. You see, the main point is not just to, to give us a historical account of an old story. Genesis is an invitation into a new story, the story that God wants to write in your life. You see, we're called to interpret the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. 
And over and over and over again in the New Testament, the work of Jesus Christ when he died for us on the cross and then rose again from the dead, and then when we put our faith in him, it says we are now a new creation in Christ. It's referring back to Genesis 1, but it's talking about Jesus as the author of a new creation here and now. Friends, the central question of Genesis is not how did it happen, it's has it happened to you? Are you a new creation in Christ? Are you one who has received the work of God in your life Genesis is not just about the creation of nature. It's not just about that, but the nature of creation. See what I did there? It's about why things are the way they are. It's about why the world is the way it is. It's, why, it's about why we are the way we are. Genesis is about the nature of how reality and how all of this stuff that we see in the world around us, how it all fits together. It's not answering the question how, it's answering the question why. It's answering the question what. It's inviting us into the story that God is writing. And friends, if we, if we lean too heavily trying to turn Genesis 1 into you know, a, a scientific textbook that gives us all the precise details of the creation story, we will walk away again and again confused, frustrated, and divided as Christians. Confused, frustrated, and divided as Christians. I mean, let's think about this. Science is constantly discovering new things about the universe, about our world, about reality as we know it. Imagine this, only 400 years ago, that's not that long ago, 400 years ago, we discovered, by we, I mean a guy named Copernicus discovered, that the earth was not the center of the cosmos. You see, Aristotle had come up with a theory that the earth was the center of all the cosmos, and it kind of made sense, right? When you're standing or sitting here today, it doesn't feel like you're moving. And when you look at the sky, it looks like the sun is moving, and the moon is moving, and the stars are moving at night, it seems to make sense that we are the center of everything, and everything else is moving around us. And Copernicus comes along and goes, according to my calculations, that's wrong. In fact, we are moving. The sun is stationary. And in fact, we're a part of a galaxy that's a part of a much bigger you know, system of galaxies, and we're all moving. And we're moving really fast. Copernicus estimated, and he was dead on, uh, roughly 67,000 miles an hour. Imagine trying to convince people that they were moving 67,000 miles an hour and that the earth was not the center of the solar system. That's a tough sell. I think I would know if I was moving 67,000 miles an hour. Thank you very much, Copernicus. My point is this. We are constantly discovering new things. There may be a discovery that happens next week, next month, or tomorrow that changes how we view the fundamental laws of nature or matter. We cannot base 
the truth of the story of the scripture on scientific method or scientific theories. We have to read the Bible for what it is. And God intended this to be Genesis. He intended it to be the beginning of the story of our salvation. Our origin story, giving us context for the rest of our lives, for the chaos that we face, the pain that we face, the meaning that we're all looking for. Genesis is the beginning. But friends, I'm afraid that many of us have have lost the plot. We've missed the story. Many of us, if we're honest, and I don't say this to shame you or to shame any of us, but we don't know the story of the Bible. We, we haven't really spent a lot of time reading or studying the Bible. We don't understand that Genesis is just really chapter one in a, in a much broader story of redemption that finds its fulfillment in Jesus. The, the beginning of the story is connected to the end of the story, and there's a bunch of important stuff in between, and we just don't know our Bibles very well. You know, to prove this, recently I was asked as a pastor to be a substitute teacher at a local Christian school. And I I had the chance to go in and teach third graders. Uh, It was their Bible class, right? And so I thought, hey, you know, I'll open things up, get them talking, I'll I'll lay a little softball out there and just get them, you know, build a little confidence before we jump into the rest of the stuff for the day. And I asked this question, I felt like it was a pretty, you know, if you've been in a Christian school or maybe raised in a Christian home, perhaps you'd know this story. Someone surely would know it. And I asked, who knocked down the walls of Jericho? Silence, dead silent. And they're all kind of looking nervously at each other. This one one little kid, Bruce, like timidly raises his hand. He goes, sir, I don't know who did it, but it wasn't me. I promise it wasn't me. I thought that was hilarious, but I was also concerned. I'm like, okay, This is a Christian school. This is the Bible class. And so I I was like, man, I should probably go just talk to the headmaster and see what are they learning in here? Are they getting the major narratives of scripture? Are they learning the Bible? And so I I walked down after class to the headmaster's office and, and I shared with him, I said, look, I asked the kids who knocked down the walls of Jericho. And this kid, Bruce, raised his hand, which was very concerning to me. He said, I don't know who did it, but it wasn't me. And The headmaster was quiet for just a moment, and he goes, hey, Jonathan, I know you're new here. I know you haven't been around, you know, very much, but look, I know Bruce. He's a good kid. He's telling the truth. He didn't knock down the walls of Jericho, which raised even more concerns for me. I decided maybe I should, um, uh, you know, email the superintendent and let them know I don't think the Bible is being taught at this Christian school where they should be learning the Bible, right? And I explained the situation where I ask about the walls of Jericho and Bruce doesn't fess up to it. And the superintendent responds right away and says, look, so sorry to hear about the situation with the walls of Jericho. If you'll have the contractor send us an estimate, we'll see if we can get the cost covered for you. None of that actually happened, but my point is this. We don't know the story of the Bible. And, you know, maybe we know the story of Jericho, but we would be hard-pressed to to track and to trace the major themes from beginning to end of Scripture that provide meaning, purpose, and grounding for our lives. That provide the, the grounding for the reality that we walk into and face every single day. 
And so we're going to start with Genesis 1, starting in verse 1. Seems like a good spot to start. Through verse 4, and let's read this together. If you have a Bible, you can read along. It'll also be on the side screens. Here's what God's Word says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And just to finish out the verse, it says, and God separated the light from the darkness. There's a couple key things right here in these first initial verses of the book of Genesis. If we look closely at this passage, we're going to see three things that I believe jump straight off the page to us. So it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. First thing is this, God created. Our, our primary relationship with God is not just Savior, and we are in need of saving. It's not just Lord, and he is the, the king and the Lord of every area of our lives. Our first and primary relationship with God, according to Scripture, is that he is the creator, and we've been created by him. We are a part of God's creation. That is the most fundamental, baseline, foundational, objective reality of your life. You were made by God. You were made in his image. Genesis says, an all-knowing, all-loving, all-divine, all-powerful creator made everything that you see and everything that you are. That's the first thing. It's the paradigm. It's the worldview that we operate from. We are not in charge. We are not sovereign. We are not the creators. God is. He made the heavens and the earth. Now, this is key. It says the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. Without form means without order. The opposite of order is chaos. The opposite of order is my house most of the time with two kids. <laughs> The earth was without form. It had no order. There was chaos and void. Void means empty. Specifically, there was no life. It was void of all life. And also, there was darkness over the face of the deep. There was darkness in the beginning before God spoke things into creation, such as light. So what we learn from this simple little passage, verse 2 and 3 of Genesis 1, are three big ideas for the day is simply this. Genesis is telling us the story of darkness to light, of chaos to order, and of emptiness to abundant life. Darkness to light, chaos to order, and emptiness or void, a void in our own life to abundant life, a life of meaning and fullness. These are the key beginnings of the entire gospel story and the story of our own lives. So let's start with number one. It's telling us the story of how darkness became light. God spoke 
said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, the most obvious thing that we understand about light is that it's through light that we can see. Light is the very substance that gives us context, that gives us clarity, that shows us the truth of what's in front of us, that shows us the reality of our situation of the world. And so God said, let there be light. Uh, Another good verse to put alongside this would be Psalm 36, verse 9. I believe this will be on the side screens. And here's what it says. Here's what the psalmist says of God. It says, you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. God is the source of life. That's what we just saw in the beginning. He created the heavens and the earth, everything. He's the source of life, and it's in him, in his light, do we see light? Do we see all that exists? It's only through the lens of Jesus and God that you will enter into reality, objective, true reality. Isaiah 9-2 says it like this, prophesying about the coming of Jesus. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the shadow or the darkness of death, a light has dawned. So the coming of Christ represents the light of the world. It shows us, hey, here's the context for the chaos. I've come not to leave you in the chaos of sin and the destructiveness of death and sin. I've come to redeem you, to rescue you, to save you. But Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he is the light of the world. He's the light by which we see reality. He is the one who pierces through the darkness and gives us context for everything we see and know. And so, friends, the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4, right here, this is the origin story. It's the context by which we see truth. And, friends, without the origin of the story, the story doesn't make any sense. It's like Batman Begins, right? You can't just start, you know, with Batman and Bane or whatever the last one is. You're like, why is this guy dressed up in a bat suit, you know, flying around town, taking out bad guys? How did this start? What's the beginning of this story, right? Batman begins is how and why Batman became Batman. You know, he witnessed a horrible traumatic moment of a child when his parents were taken from him by a criminal in Gotham. You know, he fell through this, you know, hole in the ground, this well, and fell to the bottom, broke his leg, was surrounded by bats. And so somehow it's a, you know, metaphor of him overcoming his greatest fear and then making right the one thing that was his deepest pain. There's a little psychological version of Batman for you. There you go. But Batman makes no sense without the origin. Friends, Your life, our world, the chaos that we face internally, externally, every day, you turn on the news, it's in front of you, you can't escape it, makes no sense without this context. God is the one who brings form into formlessness, order into chaos. And friends, what you will see in the first 11 chapters of Genesis is what happens, the chaos that ensues when mankind turns away from God. When mankind turns away from God, chaos happens. Friends, sin always produces chaos and destruction in our lives. There's no way around it. Sin always leads to chaos. Lying, 
leads to chaos. Cheating leads to chaos. Stealing leads to chaos. Addiction leads to chaos. Hatred leads to chaos. Unforgiveness leads to chaos. Gossip leads to chaos. Friends, the ways of God are peace and life, abundant life. But when we turn from God, within one chapter, brother is murdering brother. You don't go very much further, and, and the entire corruption of the whole human race has gone so chaotic that a merciful, loving God that wants to see people redeemed but is going to give them the freedom to choose life or death, all of creation is turning away, creating incredible chaos. And God says, the most merciful thing I can do in this moment, and it feels harsh and it feels crazy, but is to, to bring an end to the pain, the misery, the suffering, and the chaos, and to send a flood. The story, the reason that our Bible is 2,000 pages long and very complicated, very confusing, and very much like what is going on is because we turned away from God. Really, if we never listened to the serpent, if our forefathers, Adam and Eve, did not choose death over life, your Bible and mine would have ended on page two. There you go. A lot of peace, a lot of order, fullness of life and joy, no disease, no death, no destruction. It would literally be that long. The rest of this is God's, God's tireless pursuit of mankind. His tireless pursuit of redeeming and restoring what was broken and lost. His tireless uh, pursuit of us saying, on this day, you can choose life or death. Choose life. Choose order. Choose freedom. Choose peace over chaos. Start with yourself and then be an agent of my peace, of my creative ways of bringing excellence and peace to the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19 says this, therefore, this is how Paul interprets it. If anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. We're talking about Genesis here, the creation account. Paul is referencing back to Genesis 1, the creation account. And he's saying something unbelievable right here. He goes, putting your faith in Christ Going from death to life in Jesus Christ is the equivalent of God creating the entire world. It's the equivalent of a new creation from God. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. He brought us back. That's what reconciled means. Even though we were cast out of the Garden of Eden on the basis of our rebellion and sin, God says, I'm going to make a way for you to come back to the source of life and peace. I'm going to rescue you out of the chaos and death of sin. He reconciled us to himself and gave us, hello, this is our turn now. This is you. This is me. This is why we exist. We all have the ministry of reconciliation. We step into a chaotic world and we say, come back to peace. Come back to the order of the creator. He's made a way for us to come back to him through Jesus Christ. You can be reconciled to the Father right now. You can choose life, not death, right now through Christ. We have the ministry of reconciliation. That is, 
In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, bringing the world back to himself, not counting their sins against them. Could there be any better news on planet Earth? And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The first thing we learn from this is this reality of darkness to light. Understanding the context and the meaning for why we're here. The second thing that we learn is the reality of God is the only one who can bring chaos, bring order to the chaos of our lives. And we all live in some degree of chaos. We all live in some degree of sin, of choosing something above God. And God is longing to say, step into this new life, step into my story that I want to write in your life. But the third thing that we see is this reality of emptiness. The earth was formless and void. It was empty. And we see this transition to abundant life. It's incredible because if you read Genesis 1, there's this amazing recurring anthem, a phrase. In fact, some scholars believe, check this out, they believe Genesis 1 is actually a song. That's why it's really hard to understand all the scientific, you know, stuff that we're trying to figure out. It'd be like looking at Bob Dylan or looking at the Beatles and trying to figure out, wait, how, you know, what are they trying to say right here? Many of them believe that this is a song declaring the big ideas of how God created the world, the origins of our story, because it, it refrains and it repeats the same things over and over again in this beautiful crescendo that builds all the way up to mankind, the creation of mankind in the image of God. But what it says over and over again is simply this, and God said, and it was so, and God said, and it was so, and God saw that it was good. And God said, and it was so. And God saw that it was good. And God said, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And it said, the seas were teeming with life. The skies were filled with life. The land was sprouting forth life in unimaginable variety and beauty and creation. It was filled with animals of all sorts. When God spoke, he filled things with life. Friends, how often have you and I experienced a void, an emptiness on the inside? What's the meaning? What's the purpose? Why am I here? Why am I not satisfied when I keep going back to the same stuff over and over and over again? Lord, fill me with your life. Friends, maybe, just maybe, it's not because God isn't speaking, isn't longing to fill us with life, abundant life that is found in Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, it's we're not listening. Yes, we're saved by grace, but maybe, just maybe, we're not creating space to listen to the voice of God speaking over our life. We're not creating space to surrender to the Spirit of God to bring order to our chaos Maybe we're still trying to be in control. Maybe we're not submitting to the way of Jesus. Friends, 
John 10.10 says it's so clear. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, says Jesus, that they may have life and have it to the full. The opposite of void is full. They would have it abundantly. They would have the fullness of life. Genesis is the beginning of our story. It's also a picture of the story that God wants to write in your life today. I'll close with this and invite the keys to come out. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says this. It's amazing. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's giving his commentary on what salvation is when we become a new creation in Christ Don't miss this, friends. This is so important. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, who spoke, let there be light. Where do you think Paul got that from? Genesis 1. Let there be light in the darkness. Has made this light. What's the light, Paul? Has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know God through the person of Jesus Christ. Friends, the question is not, do you know the story of Genesis? The question is, what is your Genesis story? The word Genesis means beginning, to become. It means becoming who God created you to be. The question is, have you received the new creation, the Genesis, the becoming that God wants to start in your life through the work of the Spirit and through the redemption and reconciliation of Jesus Christ? This is an amazing word used of the Holy Spirit right there in the beginning. We just read it in Genesis 1. It says, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And that word hovering, it's filled with anticipation. The Spirit of God is like, I'm ready to go, Father. And I imagine, we we learn from John 1, it says, in the beginning. Does that sound familiar? John 1, Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So here we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father is the one doing the speaking. Jesus is the one performing the actions of the Father's Word, and the Spirit is the one bringing formation to the order, bringing bringing clarity and formation to the chaos. He's the one filling the void with life. The Son is the way back to the Father. I know we're getting into the Trinity and this feels complicated, but it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right there in the beginning. And the invitation of Genesis 1 is simply this. Have you received Jesus and become a new creation through the power of the Spirit? There is limitless possibility and anticipation from God over your life because the Spirit of God is saying, I don't care where you are today. He's saying, I do care where you are today, but it doesn't matter how low you feel, how far gone you feel, how chaotic, how chaotic your life is internally and externally. I'm here to bring peace and life and order. Just look to Jesus, the Word of God. He's the way back to the Father. He made a way to reconcile the world to himself. If you receive him, I'm coming for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring order and peace to all the areas of brokenness and chaos in your life. Just open the door. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Friends, the story of Genesis 1 is our story. God wants to bring meaning to our meaningless situations. He wants to fill our void, our empty feelings with life, to fill our anxiety with peace, to restore our creative power and to bring meaningful order to our lives. The Spirit of God is anticipating, is hovering over your life, longing for you to return to the Father through Jesus Christ so that He can empower you to be a new creation and you can get on with the purpose and the meaning of your life, which is to share with others what you've experienced. Come back to life, come back to the source of life that is only found in the Father. Friends, this is our foundation. Genesis 1 is our origin story. It's a picture of what has happened for us in and through the person of Jesus Christ. God, just like Paul said, is speaking over you and I today. And he's saying, let there be light. Let there be light. Let there be light. Let, let the void be filled with life. Let the emptiness be filled with abundant life. Just as the seas were swarming with new life, just as I filled the earth with plants and animals, let there be true life flowing from your soul. Let there be light. The way that we see the Father is through the Son. Amen. This is our invitation. This is the beginning of our story. And every week we, we remember the fulfillment of the promise that was given in Genesis 3.15. That the offspring of the woman would one day crush the head of the serpent. That there would be restoration, that there would be reconciliation, that there would be a way back to the Father. And it happened on the cross of Calvary when Jesus Christ gave his body and shed his blood for us. When his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us, Friends, this is our hope. It's the way that we have access back to life and back to the Father. It's the light by which we see reality. It's the power of the Spirit that brings order to the chaos of our lives. And it's the only thing that can fill the void in your soul with abundant life, the life of God. Let's pray and then we'll take communion together. Lord, right now, I just ask if there's anybody in this room who's not yet taken a step of faith, that even now they would put their faith in you. They would return to the Father, the source of life, because of what Jesus has done for them. Lord, we remember that you died for us on the cross, that you rose again from the dead. And right now, we take communion in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.